Thanks. Okay, we're going to uh, get back into our study about the Genesis flood. And I, I have struggled a little bit in my mind as to how to title this. If you remember last week, I, when I presented the first section of this, I, I had it the, uh, I think I had the reality of the flood. And because I wanted, what I want to do, I, I said I want this to be a faith building, a faith confirming study. So a lot of people, they will deny that there was a flood that flooded the whole world anytime and yet when you look at the uh, when you look at the archaeological evidence or, or maybe I should say the uh, genealogy the ge geological evidence there is tremendous support that there was a cataclysmic worldwide flood you have you have fossils that I believe would would be related to sea life fossils I believe in all of the mountain ranges all around the world. And so that says something in itself. Now as we go along, and what I'm trying to do is, is take this in stages, and so simply looked last time at why did God choose to destroy the world, destroy all of mankind and most of the animal life on the face of the earth. And so we looked at, and we'll, we'll kind of review that just in brief fashion this evening, but what I want us to understand is when somebody challenges you or challenges any of us and says, well, I, you, you believe in a flood? You believe in Noah's flood? You think that really happened? And people, even, even people who are supposed to be preachers or theologians, they'll question things like that. And I want you to be able to say, yeah, yeah, there's no question in my mind. That's what happened. And it's not blind faith. I've seen the evidence as to why it all is reasonable and logical to understand. So I want us to look at this in the second section. I'm not going to show as many uh, picture slides and graphic slides this evening. Next week, I'll probably show more than I did even last week because I want to take you inside the ark and let you see. So the Genesis flood, a true historical event, and this is part two in this study. And let's see, I'm not getting, oh, I've got to turn it on. All right. All right. So if you look at the ark, the pictures there that I put up, that is a true picture of a scale model of the ark. I'm not talking about a scale model saying, you know, uh, one foot equals half an inch. That is exactly the dimensions that are listed in the book of Genesis chapter 6. Exactly the same dimensions. It's sitting on a site in Kentucky somewhere. I can never remember the name of the town or near the town, but it's there. Uh, a number of us have been through that. You can go through it in a couple of hours if you just want to go through it quickly, if you want to stop and read everything and examine everything that's there and really take it in in a deep way. We spent eight hours. Now, that in, in that was included lunch, but it was most of eight hours. Uh, I probably took about 150 pictures or so myself because I was just fascinated. I just wanted to see it all. I wanted to see all the, the reasoning and everything. But if you look at that, that's a, that's a long shot view because I had to take it from that far away to get the whole arc in the picture. So that's how big it is. We'll talk about the dimensions in a few moments. 
But the purpose of this study, again, is to assure the Bible student, the, per, the person who says, I really care about the scriptures, and I really care about my faith in God and in Christ, and, and I want to know that everything that's in there is absolutely true, including I want to know about the ark. I want to know about the flood. Did it really happen? Was it really a worldwide cataclysmic event? And the answer to all those questions is yes. Absolutely, no question, hands down. The Bible student wants you to know all of the details that are written in the scriptures are believable, not just believable from a blind, leap-in-the-dark kind of faith that some people accuse Christians of having anyway. Real faith is not a blind leap in the dark. Even though Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1 says faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, not a blind leap in the dark. It's based on evidence, substance. Okay, so we look at this and we can now examine from our perspective, we can run dimensions and so on and see that it does make sense. Now again, why was the flood necessary from God's perspective? And he knows better than we do. Humanity had sunk into such depths of depravity, of immorality, of wickedness, of sinfulness, that God was moved to cleanse the earth and start all over again with mankind. In Genesis chapter 6, beginning with verse 5, then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Well, we could look around us today and see, say that, couldn't we? We could say that the wickedness of man is great in the earth right now, but it was far worse then. It was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now, as I said last time, I have a hard time wrapping my mind around that. How, how, do, you, how do you really understand that every human being was just continually wicked, not only in their acts, but they were wicked in the thoughts of their minds? Their heart was set in wickedness. Again, every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually, with the exception of one family, and that was Noah, his wife, their three sons and three daughters. Other than that, everybody lived a totally, now, now get that, a totally wicked life. They were, so how, how do you really get, get that across in a way that, that really sinks in? They were sinful all day long. They were sinful in their thoughts all day long. They lived in sinful lifestyles all the time. No virtue. I, I, you, 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 tr you figure out, use words and descriptions that can make that stand out for you and make it come to life. But every intent and the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually and the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart and the Lord said I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth both man and beast creeping thing and birds of the air for I am sorry that I have made them but and that's the great transition word there taking the exception but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord Noah, if you want to look at it from uh, kind of an analytical perspective, Noah was the one through whom God saved humanity on the face of the earth at that time. So 
when you're thinking about how horrible it was and, and how, how would you imagine living in a place? We, we might think about a city. We might think about a section of a city that is so bad that, that maybe you're afraid to go out at all because there's all kinds of wicked things being done all around you all the time. You can't trust anybody because the thoughts and intents of his heart is only wicked continually, only evil continually. Evil exists in this world because the devil is the perpetrator of evil. Well, think what a number he had done on humanity back then that everybody, with the exception of Noah and his family, were in the grip of the devil, in the palm of his hand. Could it be said, is it reasonable to stop and think that the earth in Noah's day, from humanity's perspective, was like hell on earth? Horrible. Again, I, I have a difficult time wrapping my mind around and fully understanding just how bad it must have been. The text in Genesis chapter 6 goes on with verse 11, reading down through verse 13. The earth also was corrupt before God. Now, that, that was a pretty vivid and condemning description when you went back in verses 5 through 8, but now you pick up verse 11, it goes on. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. Not here and there, not a smattering in this place or that part, but the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth all flesh. And that's intriguing to me to stop and contemplate because God not only destroyed mankind, but he destroyed virtually all of the animals that walked on the face of the earth at the same time. When it says all flesh, is it talking about mankind had become, sin had become so, so active in its influence that even the wild animals reacted? I mean, I don't know. I wouldn't say that, and you know, certainly wouldn't make a case for that. But when it says all flesh, and God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. We think it's bad today, and it is. If you've read the series of articles that I've been writing over the last five or six weeks, I have been bringing out just focusing on our culture in our country, in the United States of America, right now. And it is absolutely crazy. But not crazy in a funny way, it's crazy. We are sinking deeper and deeper as a culture into depravity. You know, as Al brought out this morning, we're being told that a whole lot of people, they don't even know what sex they are. And that's going down to even middle school, and I've been told even in younger classes than that, that gender identification is being taught to the children to help them try to figure out, are you really a boy or are you a girl in a boy's body? Or are you really a girl or are you, or are you a boy in a girl's body? It's, it's crazy. Now, how can a young child like that possibly analyze what that's all talking about? It's easy for us to look around and say, boys, girls. And it's always been that way. 
Now, does the devil cloud the issue in the minds of some individuals? Sure. But is that something that our culture ought to take up as a cause and start, start just kind of, of, of schooling our little kids in some kind of exercise of trying to, now look deep, Johnny, look deep. Do you really feel like a boy? Or do you think you might be a girl? Or, you know, Susie, just look, look deep. Think, think carefully. Do you think you might be a boy? Now, you talk about evil. Evil exists in our nation right now. The devil must be, he must be smiling with a, a, a smile on his face a mile wide. Look what I have done. Look at what influence I have had. Well, as bad as we might think it is right now, even in our nation, it was far worse across the whole globe where mankind lived in the days of Noah. The thoughts and intents of their heart, of everybody, was only evil continually. In 2 Peter chapter 2, beginning with verse 4, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and notice his reference here to Noah and the flood, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. That's how bad it was. On the world of the ungodly. What a description of the world in the days of Noah. Incredible. Incredible. So Jesus compared the state of mankind at the time of the flood with how it will be when he comes in the day of judgment. Notice in Matthew chapter 24, beginning with verse 36, but of that day and hour, no one knows. What day and hour? When the Lord's going to come again and the final day of judgment. As was noted this morning, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we're not only remembering the death and the burial and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but we're also telling the world he's coming back. Of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my father only. And notice the comparison now. But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. In other words, they were just going about regular routines as they understood them in their lives until that day that Noah entered the ark and it was all over. The normal routines of lifestyle were all over. And did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Now that's a warning. The people of Noah's day, God gave them another hundred plus years from the time he told Noah, start building that ark. It took Noah and his family over a hundred years to construct that ark. And during that time, he was talking about repentance to the people around him. God was giving humanity a hundred plus years to come to their senses. And perhaps if enough would have, God could have said, okay, okay. Just as he told Abraham, if I can find 10 righteous souls in the city of Sodom, I'll spare the city. 10 righteous souls weren't there. 10 righteous souls were not in the world in the days of Noah. And so, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Jesus says, 
it's going to be that way when I come again. People who are unprepared will be going about their daily routines, doing whatever they do every day, all the time, and they're going to be so shocked. They were shocked. The people, when the rain started falling and God opened the fountains of the deep, and the waters from the crust of the earth began to flood the surface of the earth as well as the rain, probably in torrential rain, pouring down upon the earth. And then how many of them do you think it flashed through their minds? That old man was trying to tell us this was going to happen and we wouldn't listen to him. But God had already closed up the door on the side of the ark and nobody else could get in. Jesus says it's going to be that way on the final day of judgment. When I come again, it's going to be too late for people to come to their senses and repent. And how stunned will humanity be at that time? God gave Noah very specific instructions as to how to design the ark. When we look in, in, in Genesis chapter 6, beginning with verse 14, the text tells us, and God is speaking to Noah, and he says, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. We're not sure what gopher wood is. If anyone knows what gopher wood is, talk to me afterwards because we might be able to uh, make some money, you know, informing all of the world what gopher wood is and where we can find it. We don't know what gopher wood is. Some have suggested it's oak perhaps some other kinds of wood, but we don't know. But God gave him very specific instruction, go for wood. Now, why would he not say pine, for instance? Pine is a very soft wood, probably would not do really well riding on the top, on the surface of floodwaters for the long period of time that the ark had to do. So make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark, and we'll see that next time. I'll start showing you some pictures as to possibilities of what those rooms looked like, at least some of, some of them, and cover it inside and out with pitch. That's to stop, and stop up any cracks, not allow water to get into the, in, the interior of the ark. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, its width 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark, and you shall finish it to a cubit, up, to a cubit from above. And set the door of the ark in its side. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. I'll show you, again, how that can be worked out in the interior of the ark. Three decks inside. So very specific instructions. Now those dimensions that God instructs are key. You stop and think about it. The ark didn't have any engine, obviously. There were no engines at that time. And so you say, well, duh, okay. But you notice there were no sails either. There were no oars. There were no rudders. God instructed Noah to make a ship for survival. The ark was not designed to go anywhere except wherever God might send it through the currents and the waves and so on. It was simply to float on the surface of the water and save or preserve the lives of everyone and all of the animals inside. There was no propeller, no, no propelling kind of, of structure in there to, to guide it here or guide it there. So stop and think now. 
the ark was not designed to go anywhere. It was simply designed to safely float on the surface of the water and preserve life therein. And Peter talks about that in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. He says, which sometime were disobedient, speaking of mankind, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, yeah, over a hundred years while the ark was being prepared, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. Now you might say, whoa, 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 what are you talking about? Saved by water. Weren't they saved from the water? They were saved by the water. The waters lifted the ark up to the surface and saved all those people and all those animals therein. So the eight souls were saved by water. And then Peter makes the comparison, the like figure, whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's, it's interesting. And there's no way of getting around this. Now, I've, I've, I've heard people try to explain away what Peter just said there when he says, by the like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save this. Because they, are so, they have it so ingrained in their mind that baptism is not necessary for salvation. They'll say, that's, that, that's, what kind of baptism is that? Well, again, duh, what's he talking about? Water, all through the context. Holy Spirit baptism, not even mentioned there the like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. They were saved by water. Isn't that what the text says? Absolutely. And Peter makes the application to baptism for us today as we become Christians. We're saved, obviously, by the blood of Christ, obviously by God, but as we're buried with our Lord in baptism, in the waters of baptism for the remission of our sins. Well, again, the waters lifted the perfectly designed ark to the surface, saving the physical lives of those therein. Otherwise, they would have drowned with everybody else on the earth. Peter made that comparison that it is through the waters of baptism that a person is saved spiritually. Spiritually. The one, Noah and his family were saved physically. Through baptism, we're saved spiritually. Do you see the comparison? Do you see the connection? How the Bible works so perfectly and harmoniously and continually together in what it teaches? Well, somebody might say, how in the world could that that boat, you know, how could that be seaworthy? It's perfectly seaworthy. It's by God's design. He told Noah to build that ark 300 cubits, that's about 450 feet long, 50 cubits wide, that's about 75 feet wide, 30 cubits high, that's about 45 feet high, and that's a ratio of 300 to 50 to 30. We say, so? Well, over the years, we, start, we have come to learn a great deal about building seaworthy vessels. And did you ever stop and think? Caught me a little by surprise. I knew the ark was a huge structure. But until about 1858, it was the largest floating ship ever built. That's a long time. It was built about 2,000 years before Christ. So it took us almost 4,000 years 
to build a ship that large, a floating ship that large. Now, in 1844, a man named Brunel built a giant ship named the Great Britain using almost the same ratios of the ark, 300 to 50 to 30, same ratios. And it was discovered, it was learned that these dimensions are the perfect ratio for a huge ship built for seaworthiness and not speed. Now the ark was not going to go anywhere fast, but it was going to do exactly as God designed it to do. It was going to float for the total length of time that the flood waters were going to be on the earth and under that vessel. These dimensions are the perfect ratio for a huge ship built for seaworthiness and not speed. And guess what? During World War II, when we had those, when we built, I don't know how many, huge number of Liberty ships to carry cargo over to Egypt, or over to Europe, during World War II, shipbuilders used approximately the same ratio to build the SS Jeremiah O'Brien, one of the Liberty ships, which were called the Ugly Ducklings, because they were built to carry large loads of cargo, just like the ark was built to carry. Isn't that amazing? We learn through our technology as we kept learning and putting it in practice and, and building ships. We can, God was pretty smart back there. God, the designer of the universe, also knows exactly how to design an extremely seaworthy ship. Well, that should not surprise us, should it? Not in the least. The unity of the Bible is vividly demonstrated by continual references to the flood, to Noah, to his family, to God's covenant with man following the flood. And I'm just going to run through these quickly, and I'm not going to read all the verses of Scripture. Most of them I'm just going to make reference to. If you want to jot them down, I, I can you know, give you access, and you can you could write them down and check them out for yourself. But Shem, Ham, and Japheth are listed as sons of Noah in 1 Chronicles chapter 1 and verse 4, exactly as they are identified in the flood account in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 10, and again in chapter 7 and verse 13. God's covenant with humanity following the flood, Genesis chapter 9 verse 11, is referred to in Isaiah chapter 54 and verse 9. Ezekiel referred to Noah in Ezekiel chapter 14 verses 19 and 20. Jesus compared the unpreparedness of humanity when God brought the floodwaters upon the earth in Noah's day to how it is going to be when he comes on the final day of judgment. And we already read that in Matthew chapter 24, verses 36 through 39. Jesus referred to Noah and the flood. Luke also referred to one of Noah's sons, Shem, Luke chapter 3 and verse 36. And then the Hebrews writer, he wrote this, by faith, Noah being warned of God of things not yet seen, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Hebrews 11 and verse 7. Even the Hebrews writer. So through the Old Testament and through the New Testament, we keep seeing references to the flood and to Noah and his family. Now, again, what does the Hebrew writer say? By faith, Noah built that ark. 
Since faith comes by hearing the word of God, Romans 10 and verse 17, Noah obviously built that ark by God's instruction and design exactly in accord with the Genesis flood account. Peter further referenced Noah and the, and, and the flood. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, we've already read that particular text of Scripture, but he refers to it again. Uh, I'm sorry, we read, we read an earlier text. Let me read this one again. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. That's the one we did read. I apologize. I got mixed up in my head there. Notice the accuracy of Peter's reference, though, to the Genesis record of the flood. He mentions Noah. He mentions that there were only eight people. He mentions that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And notice that the flood was for the purpose of bringing it upon the world of the ungodly. All of those references Peter brought out. All of that. Now next time I want to begin to show you, through some pictures that I've taken, how the construction of the ark internally was designed to fit just what God told Noah to do. A lot of people say, well, how in the world could, could all of the animals, all the different kinds of the animals fit inside that ark? We'll talk about that. I'll help you understand. We're not talking about every color of every cat or every breed of every dog. We're talking about the kinds, the kinds of the animals. And it all works. There's plenty of room there. And there's plenty of room for Noah and his family. And there's plenty of room for food for all of the animals and also for Noah and his family through all of the time that the floodwaters would be upon the earth. We can believe God's word. Again, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The more and more that we do archaeological digs, the more and more, as was brought out this morning, we find that the mentions in the Bible of specific times and events and places and people fall right into place with what we learn to be the, the true historical accounts. And there have already been a lot of examinations of the geological strata that demonstrates that they have not been deposited over long eons of time, but there have been cataclysmic events that have caused the crust of the earth beneath the surface to be changed dramatically in a very rapid time. And that's the flood. That's the flood. If you need to respond to your Lord in faith, I hope this study is helping you to do that. We would love to study with you, talk with you, pray with you. And if you need to be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, we encourage you to take that step or talk with us about it. If you need the prayers of the church, we want, to let, want you to let us know so we can pray with you or for, and for you. Our invitation song is number 838. If you need to come, we encourage you to take that step in faith, faith in God, faith in Christ as his son, our Lord and Savior as we stand together and sing.